Right, well, a very good, uh, very warm welcome, uh, very good morning to you all. Um, I'd like to introduce myself. Uh, my name's Phil. Uh, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I am part of the uh, church family that meets at Fordingbridge. Um, I am a husband to wife Sonia. Um, I'm adopted, uh, kind of adopted dad to Paul and Joe, and I'm grandpa to Ben and Maya, um, although I am known as Poppy, as Maya couldn't pronounce Grampy when she was little. Um, I am a farmer and an engineer by trade and inclination. So, enough about me. Um, yes, we are continuing uh, through Hebrews. Um, when Dale phoned me a couple of weeks ago and said, could I preach uh, on the 7th at Wimborne? I said, yeah, fine, that's no problem. Um, he said, the, the theme is the rest of God. And I don't think I actually said so at the time, but it, uh, first thing that went through my mind is, the rest of God, crikey, that's a lot. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, I knew what he meant. But uh, it kind of stuck with me. And I'll come to that in a bit. So our text is actually quite a long one. Um, I'm not the best reader, but I'm going to try and uh, get through. Uh, it's um, chapter 3 um, and actually the beginning of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus was counted, wor counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honour than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest, these, lest there be in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all of those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And whom, to, to whom did he swear that he wouldn't, they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering still stands, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterwards, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also entered, has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked, exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Heavenly Father, as we open our hearts, I pray you would open your word to us. Do us good, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> chapter 3. Uh, the heading in my Bible, and probably many of yours, is Jesus greater than Moses. That seems like a bit of an obvious statement to us. Of course Jesus is greater than Moses. He's the Son of God. But to the Hebrews, it was not so obvious For generations, they had had stories of Moses, how he performed amazing miracles. He, uh, all the plagues we saw, his uh, time in, in front of Pharaoh, um, 
God gave him signs and he performed them. And uh, we also see that the people of Israel live by the law of Moses. And we know that it's God's law, but it was given through Moses. And so to this day, it is called the law of Moses. We see in Exodus 33, verse 9, he spoke to God for the people. He would enter the tent of meeting, and the pillar of cloud would come down uh, with God's presence, and the people would stand at the entrance of their tent and worship God. And a bit later on in the, uh, verse 11, it says there, God spoke to Moses face to face as one man speaks to another. We need to get to know this Moses if we want to get the point that uh, the writer of the Hebrews is trying to make. Moses instituted the Sabbath under God's command. And even after his death, Moses' presence was felt, or his influence was felt. If we, uh, Joshua, we read, uh, Joshua 1.13, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you with a place of rest and will give you this land. So even after his death, uh, he still had influence. And we know that as the people live by his law, he is obviously of great importance uh, to the people of Israel and to us. Well, the writer wants us to understand that Jesus is so, so much greater, so far greater than Moses uh, or Joshua. Why? Why is it that he wants us to know this? Well, it's because Jesus is able to lead us to a far greater rest. And if he wasn't far greater, he wouldn't be able to lead us to a far greater rest. You see, Moses and then Joshua were given authority to lead to a temporary rest. There's lots of different types of rest, if you like. I'm not talking about laying on the couch rest. Um, when I met Sonia and got married, God granted me rest from lonely wandering. He granted Sonia rest from being the head of the household, um, being mum and dad for Paul. And indeed, granted Paul rest from the responsibility of looking after his mum. I know you guys here have had a, a really tough time, and I believe God is granting you rest. If you're on one of the serving teams, you may not think so. but um, <laughs> God grants rest in many ways, but Jesus is able to grant eternal rest. We read... In chapter 3, verse 6, God is faithful over God's house as a son. He is far greater than Moses and therefore is able to grant a far greater rest. 
600 years after Moses had died and the people had left the wilderness, God spoke through Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 53, actually, I'm going to use the new living here, it's just, I love the way it puts it. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned, their lives snuffed out like a smothered candle wick. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For it is a brand new thing. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness for my people to come home. He's talking about a far greater wilderness, a far greater saviour, and a far greater rest. The rest of God. The rest of the rest. You know, um, sometimes it's not helpful, but we use some terms in church, and uh, we use a term now and not yet um, quite a bit. And um, what do I mean by that in this in this context? Well, we have rest, a certain amount of rest, from the power of sin and our striving to uh, attain righteousness from our own works. But we still sin. There and then, there will be no sin. It's as simple as that. It's a far greater rest. Um, I uh, spent my early years in, a, um, in the Brethren Church. My wife's probably going to slide down in her seat now. Um, we, uh, there's a few words of song I remember uh, very well. Um, and they go a bit like this. Then we will be what we would be. And we shall be what we should be. Things that are not now, nor could be, then will be our own. When we get to that rest, <clears throat> the rest of the rest. Rest, God's rest in its fullness then we will be at rest. And what should our response be? Well, let's look at what Hebrews say to be careful to avoid. Well, in a nutshell, I could end here and just say, don't let your heart become hard. Heart become hard. It's, um, it's a bit of a hard passage, really, this uh, if we read here in verse uh, 12 and 13, but if we look at 12 here, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Well, that's, that's a fairly scary statement. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And how do we get an evil, unbelieving heart? It tells us in the next verse. 
hardened heart by the deceitfulness of sin. And I'm not talking about the quantity or severity of sin. I'm talking about a hardened attitude towards sin to accept it to embrace it and God forbid even to love it the intention of the heart is always what God's interested in now David King David sinned but he hated it I mean when David sinned he really did a good job I mean, you've only got to read some of the verses there. It's mind-blowing. The guy is someone who has had such a time with God, and yet he really pulls some whoppers. Adultery, deception, and finally murder. And what was his response What's the antidote? I think we should look at that. Because it's no good telling people what can go wrong without telling them uh, how to put it right. If ever there was an antidote, this is it. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, You delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a clean heart, O God and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That is an antidote, if ever I heard one. That is the attitude that we need to have. Now, I was uh, always taught, once saved, always saved. Um, I'm not going to get into that debate. (laughs) Um, But I do want to state, God never changes. But it appears that we can walk away like his people did because of unbelief. Chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. 
I just want to look at uh, a passage in um, Numbers. Numbers 14. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and little ones become a prey. Would it not be better to go back to Egypt? And they, they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Bearing in mind, these guys are standing at the border of the promised land. And without being crude, they're like sticking two fingers up at God. All, you know, after all they had seen, all they had witnessed, they wouldn't trust God to see them through to the promised land. It's like being on your deathbed and saying, I'd rather go to hell than go to heaven. Because you don't trust that God will get you there. And what is God, God's response? And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long, how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them. I want to bring a contrast here. Uh, just go back a, a verse or two and read what Joshua and Caleb had to say and see what their response was. Hmm. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Their protection is removed, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. They understood that God was with them. They understood that God was going to see them through. But those people, even after they had witnessed so much, would not trust in God. Let's take care that sin doesn't harden our hearts and that we let unbelief set in, like the children of Israel. What an insult that they saw the giants and the troubles and they, they saw them as bigger and more powerful than God. As he said in Hebrews, they don't know my ways. What does he say? I was provoked for that generation. As they always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. Let us exhort one another. It says, exhort one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
let's not kid ourselves. We sin lots. We sin all the time. We sin every day. And God's not arguing about that. He's not bothered about that. He's more interested in the intent of your heart than the actions of your flesh. So let's exhort one another every day that we wouldn't become hardened and familiar and used to sin. That we would not fall away. Let's hold fast to our original confidence. How do we how do we do that? Well, I can't really tell you. You need to find that out for yourself. But I can give you some pointers. Nurture your faith by spending time with God. Spending time in His Word. Another the uh, studying the witness of those that have gone before. Spend time with his people. And follow David's example. Cry out to God for a clean heart, a right spirit. Express the sadness of your soul at your sin. Worship him in spirit and truth. We must have faith that God is able to do all that he has promised. The chapter, the beginning of chapter 4. It says, For the good news came to them. I'll start from the beginning. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. We must have faith that God will do all that he has promised. And for those not yet saved, it's very clear today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I think it's repeated half a dozen times there. Today is a day of salvation. Today, do not harden your hearts. And I'm not talking about uh, come to the front and pray a prayer after me. That has a purpose. Has a, but let's just look at what Romans says about salvation. Romans 10, Romans 10 uh, verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
You see, without the heart, the confession is useless. You cannot truly confess what's not in your heart. If it means nothing to you, believe me, it means nothing to God. God is always about the heart. Um, Many of you may know a a chap called Guy Miller. Um, He happens to lead the sphere around here. Um, I heard him talking one day about um, an event, a local Dorset event, that he did. uh, He got involved in a a tent mission at this event many, many many years ago. Um, And at that event, there was... um, there was a lady who was uh, kind of criticizing him, um, sort of, she'd say, well, you know, you're, you're here in this cozy little tent preaching away, and, and I'm out there um, seeing people saved. And um, I, I think he, he ignored it, really. And, uh, but anyway, she kept coming into the back of the tent and um, putting her hand up and saying, three more, three more, you know, or two more, like this. And eventually it got the better of him. He thought, oh, I can't handle this. I've got to go and see what's going on here. So he followed her out. And um, she would approach the first random stranger that she came to. And I, I can't remember quite what he said that she was saying to them. But something like, you know, you're, you're, going, you're heading for hell. Um, do you want to be saved? Um, and those that said yes she would say, well, pray these words after me, boom, that's it, you're saved. And so that chalked up another one. This is not what the Bible teaches us. Let's, let's get it right. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus shed his blood to set you free. Salvation is offered today. So put your faith in Jesus. He has deposited credit in the Royal Bank of Heaven. A credit that covers all of debt for all sin, for all men, for all time. And you might say, well, you don't know what I've done. God does. It's right here. Verse 13. And no creature, not even just a person, no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God knows. He knows every detail of your life and mine. You ain't getting away with anything. He knows. And he has issued a credit note for the exact amount to cover the debt of all your sin past, present, and future. But you must claim it. So if you are, you're sitting here, 
uh, or you're listening at home today or another day, and you know in your heart that what I've been saying is true, don't let this opportunity go by. Put your trust in God. Receive Jesus as your saviour and join the ranks of the greatest family, the greatest kingdom the world has ever known. If you need help to understand more or you want prayer or to, be, or to pray, to be prayed for, grab someone here today. Find someone at home. Don't leave it. Today is the day of salvation. I want to finish with uh, another reading to encourage all of us. I'm going to read from uh, The New Living again. And it is again in Isaiah. This is our God. This is the God whom we look to, the God we can depend on. Pay attention, O Israel. That includes us. For you are my servant. I, the Lord, made you. And I will not forget to help you. I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. I have scattered your offences like the clouds. Oh, return to me. I have paid the price to set you free. Sing, O heavens, for, for what the Lord has done. This wondrous thing the Lord has done. Shout, O earth, break forth into song, O mountains and forests and every tree. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and is glorified in Israel. The Lord, your Redeemer and Creator, says, I am the Lord who made all things. I alone stretched out the heavens. By myself I made the earth and everything in it. This is our God, folks. He is able to do far more than we can ever hope or think. And he is certainly able to keep his promises to us. Let us come with faith and not let sin harden our hearts. Let us go forward in the power of the Lord. Let's worship.